When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In London, this is The Economist. With Tasting Menu, a rather tempting collection of this week's coverage picked from across our content. I'm Kenneth Kukie, Senior Editor at The Economist, and on the menu this week, how plastic could protect the planet, why environmentalists are cutting down trees, and the strange consciousness in the tentacles of an octopus. But first, China's digital dictatorship was our cover line this week in Asia. Under its popular leader, Xi Jinping, China's Communist Party seems ostensibly to be as strong as ever. Yet it is still profoundly insecure, and it is trialing ominous new technology to keep the people under control and power in its grasp. Its leaders behave as if China will never have to undergo the democratic transformation that every rich country has passed through on the way to prosperity. Instead, they seem to believe that the party can keep control. Some officials are betting that the way to do so lies in a new form of data-driven dictatorship. It calls this a social credit system. You can read all the details of the plan in the article in this week's issue. It says the idea is to harness digitally stored information to chivvy everyone into behaving more honestly, whether fly-by-night companies or tax and fine-dodging individuals. It sounds worthwhile, but the scheme will likely go beyond mere observation. The government also talks about this as a tool of social management, i.e. controlling individuals' behaviour. This is a regime that already tries to police how often people visit their parents. How much further could it go? There is no doubt that in the West, companies are gobbling up data on the public too. But there are rules. In China, by contrast, the monitoring could result in a digital dystopia. Officials talk of creating a system that by 2020 will allow the trustworthy to roam everywhere under heaven while making it hard for the discredited to take a single step. If you want to keep a secret, you must also hide it from yourself. That's George Orwell. Over in our Middle East and Africa section, an article explored a country aligning with modern times. Saudi Arabia has always followed the Islamic calendar, but recently it switched to the Gregorian one that is followed in the West. The move was intended to simplify things, but it has wound up complicating things for many. In April, the dynamic deputy crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, chose to call his transformation plan Vision 2030, not Vision 1451, after the corresponding Islamic year, as traditionalists might have preferred. The kingdom's shift was proclaimed as a leap into modernity. But there are obvious reasons for some grumblings of discontent. Henceforth, they will run the state according to a reckoning based on Jesus Christ's birth, not on the Prophet Muhammad's religious mission. Heresy! Oh, wait, not heresy. Nevertheless, the country's purists aren't best pleased. Guardians of the Wahhabi rite, who seek to be guided by Muhammad's every act, ask whether they are now being required to follow Jesus. A slippery slope, the clergy warn, to forgetting the fasting month of Ramadan altogether. The authorities are rewinding the clock to the Jahiliya or pre-Islamic age of ignorance. 
Some consolation may come from knowing that Saudi Arabia isn't the only country grappling with ancient calendars. It is 1395 in Iran, 2628 in Kurdistan, and 5776 in Israel's Knesset. Nor is it just the Middle East that is out of sync with the times. It is 2559 in Thailand, though only year 28 of the Heisei era in Japan. Well, the way the year 2016 has panned out, perhaps we should all just start again. As Saudi Arabia sets about reconfiguring its temporal infrastructure, we head over now to California, where environmentalists are starting up chainsaws to cut down trees. No, they haven't had a change of heart. They're still environmentalists. As an article in the United States section explained, removing small trees leaves more much-needed water for everyone else. In the early 1900s, an average forested acre in California supported fewer than 50 or so trees. After a century of efforts to fight wildfires, the average has risen to more than 300, albeit mostly smaller, trees. This may sound like success, but perhaps you can't see the wood for the trees. The extra fuel turns today's wildfires into infernos, hot enough to devastate the landscape, torching even the big, older trees that typically survived fires in the old days. And the thirsty young saplings are compounding the worst drought in the state's history. Like too many straws in a drink, trees suck up groundwater before it can seep into streams that feed reservoirs. The project director for the Sierra Nevada range, source of 60% of California's consumed water, notes that as a warmer climate lengthens the growing season, trees' thirst will only increase. So California is trying a counterintuitive method to curb its drought, which you can read more about in this week's issue. Elsewhere, we discuss the retreat of globalization across the financial world. In our weekly podcast, Money Talks, Philip Coggin, our Buttonwood columnist, explained that the flow of money across borders is slowing. For the first time really since the 90s, the flows have dropped a bit. Admittedly, from 5.4 trillion a day to 5.1 trillion a day. But still, that disguises within that the spot market, which is the instant trading, is down 19% over the last three years. If you'd like to find out why, along with more discussion on all things business, finance, and economics, download our Money Talks podcast, available each Tuesday. With global cash flows contracting, elsewhere we turned our attention to the escalating problem of food waste faced around the world. This isn't merely squandering resources, it causes environmental damage too. But, as an article in our business section explained, an unlikely environmental champion lurks in the food aisle. Vacuum packaging. Roughly a third of food produced, 1.3 billion tonnes of the stuff, never makes it from farm to fork. Such prodigious waste exacts multiple costs, from hunger to misspent cash. Not to mention environmental costs. The emissions generated during the process of making wasted food exceeds those of Brazil in total. Squandering meat is particularly damaging. But help is close to hand, clear for all to see. Far from being the blight that green critics claim it is, food wrappings can in fact be an environmental boon. By more than doubling the time that some meat items can stay on shelves, for example, better packaging ensures that precious resources are used more efficiently. And the vacuum versions are the prime cut. Plastic packs, which prevent oxidation, mean meat can stay on shelves 
for between five and eight days rather than two to four. It also makes it more tender. A concept to savor. We leave this intelligent idea and head to an artificially intelligent company. DeepMind, the AI company owned by Alphabet, the artist formerly known as Google, has stolen a march on competitors by holding monopoly on AI researchers. In our science and technology podcast, Babbage, our technology correspondent, Hal Hodson, explained what might balance the market out. I think that hopefully the equalizing factor will be access to new and interesting kinds of data because there Amazon has a different kind of product to Google. It sells things. It's got data about stuff. Facebook has data about social connections and who your friends are and what they like. So in my eyes, even though Google has spent a lot of money hiring people, I'm not sure that they will take off really, really fast unless they can get access to these new data sets. Remember, you can download the Babbage podcast every Wednesday and be a part of the community. For our final taste of this week's coverage, we investigated an intelligence deep within the oceans. Our books and arts section reviewed a work by a philosopher who spent time with octopuses and mused on the origins of consciousness. An octopus's body contains 500 million neurons, roughly the same as a dog's, but most of these reside in the cephalopod's arms and allow the tentacles to act independently from the brain. Indeed, these appendages truly have a mind of their own. The type of consciousness experienced by an octopus, then, is wholly alien to humans. Early lab experiments for animal intelligence assumed that the proof was in the performance of certain tests. Such as learning to pull a lever in exchange for food. Octopuses perform quite well in such tests, but not as well as rats. However, in his research, the author heard examples which are perhaps more revealing. One researcher told him of an octopus that expressed its displeasure with the lab food by waiting until she was looking before stuffing the unwanted scrap of squid down the drain. Who wants to eat calamari when you're in the mood for salmon? That's the end of our tasting menu. Don't forget you can read all of our articles in this week's issue, and new podcasts are available to download each day. Keep sending in your feedback by emailing radio at economist.com, tweeting us, or visiting us on Facebook. In London, this is The Economist.